to our weekly podcast, Real Talk with Chris and Ross. We are designed for entrepreneurs and forward thinkers. We also care very heavily around the real estate industry as a whole, bringing you hot topics and up-to-date content with a lot of amazing special guest speakers along the way. So sit back, buckle your seatbelt, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Talk with Chris and Ross, everybody. Episode 29. Shoot, we're almost reaching episode 3-0. That's amazing. I feel like I'm growing up in life. Uh, as always, um, unfortunately, my hostess with the most is today. Uh, uh, Rawson is not able to make it. They had a quick emergency. Anyway, so the show must go on. But today we have an exciting, amazing guest. She's a very special person to me in my heart. I've known her for quite some time, well over a decade. Her and her husband both are just amazing people with great stories. And, uh, you know, I'm blessed to have met them, not through EXP, but just in real estate in general, because we have to be in the same uh, arena and sector of area geographically. But uh, welcome today, our special guest, Marguerite Crispillo. Thank you so much, my dear, for taking the time of your day to come well, sit and chat with me. I'm thrilled to be here, man. It's so, uh, what, what a world away we are from when we met, right? Like we weren't doing podcasts and junk like oh. that back in the day. <laughs> Oh, absolutely not. We were still playing Monopoly at board games, right? We're not even playing video games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so fancy now. Right? We're like, whoa, all these cool little tips and tricks. Like, yeah, yeah, we just look good. But unfortunately, it's all automated, right? And I don't even know what I'm doing. So everybody knows I'm the worst Asian. I'm not that Asian. I'm not techie one bit. Um, but anyways, so uh, Marguerite, you know, you've been in this real estate sector for decades. And um, again, we've been friends now for, I'd say, has it been 15, at least 15 years? I think right? it's been at least 15 years. 15 yeah. years. Yeah. In fact, yeah. and you know, we've seen each other go through ups and downs, uh, good, bad, ugly. And uh, on a personal level too, like you're personally a good friend of mine. Like I love you as an amazing friend. So it's even more exciting to be able to have a guest on here. That's just not even just somebody you admire and, and look up to, but just as a good friend, you know, we are good friends. So outside of that in the real world. So this is even more uh, of an experience and opportunity for me to do this. So why don't we, for those that are listening again, I appreciate all you regular listeners that tune in here. Hopefully this is a value. Um, and for those that are new, welcome to the show as well. But uh, Marguerite, kind of give us a glimpse a little bit, maybe of your, you know, your journey a little bit here, where you started, kind of a little bit of your background, and then we'll shoot into there with some, you know, interject some question answers and stuff, and, and we'll go from there. Absolutely. Well, I first of all, thank you for having me here today. I'm excited. But I have been in December of this year, I will have been in real estate 30 years. Oh, almost as much and, as my podcast. Dang, almost 30. Uh, 29, 29. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy to think how long I have been doing this and how different thing how the world has changed, you know. And I just wanted to say this, there's so many, like it's graduation season right now, right? So everybody's graduating and from high school, college, wherever they're graduating from, kindergarten. All right. <laughs> and and the, the thing is, is that I, I had posted something today where I was thinking about what was I thinking about at 17 and a half years old when I graduated in 1981, I'm going to date myself. And what kind of dreams and aspirations did I have then? And what has my caught up in not knowing 
where they're going to go or what they're going to do. They're like, I don't know what I want to be. And truth be told, I didn't have a clue. 17 and a half. I knew nothing about real estate. I spent literally the next 12 years of my life until I got 30 getting fired for more jobs than I was hired from. Right. I was really not employable. I, I didn't like being, having a boss. I didn't like having somebody telling me what time I had to be there and what to do and how to do it. And I didn't do well. So I finally, after uh, my husband was in the mortgage business and refi mania came along, interest rates had dropped to an all-time low of 8%. <laughs> wow, right? All-time low. I love you said that. Yeah, all-time low. Yeah, and he was like, you should get your real estate license and go do loans. And we had just uh, had our son, Jacob. Well, actually, Jacob was, we were expecting Jacob. We had our oldest son, Jordan. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. I had no idea. So I got my real estate license with the intent to do loans. I did loans for a year and I hated it. So God bless all you lenders out there. Uh, more power to you, not for me. So now I had my son Jacob and a little baby carrier. And I went to work for a top producing REO broker at the time, Luigi, for those of you who know Luigi, and carrying my son and a little baby carrier in there. And I went to work as his assistant, helping him set up the technology of top producer, which was brand new at the time. Right. And that's how I got started in real estate. And I ended up selling 18 houses in my first six months. I said, real estate's for me. I like real estate. And the rest is, as they say, history. You know, I've been in real estate now for almost 30 years here in December. I've been a part of over 4,000 real estate transactions and done a lot of different stuff. And I can't imagine being anywhere else. But my point in saying all that is that all these people who don't know where they're going to go or what they're going to do, just let time pass. Like just keep doing the work in different arenas and you'll be pretty blown away as to what will show up in your life that is potentially your destiny or, or you know, where you want to be. And I just see these young kids getting all stressed out about, you know, not having their life figured out at 21 years old. And I'm like, you got time. <laughs> I still oh don't God. have it figured out. And I'm gonna be 60. <laughs> I was going to say something. I was going to add that to it too. Like, all right, we're in our fifties and sixties and we still maybe haven't figured it out. Yeah, I mean, oh. we were just talking a little bit off 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 camera about uh, my youngest son wants to take off for a year and travel the world. And we're like, oh, we totally should have done that, right? Totally so, right. And then, yeah, it's just interesting that life life is what happens when you're busy planning, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't even know, like, you have this big plan, and then all of a sudden you get to the street corner and you're like, oh, I guess I'll go left instead of right, and that takes you somewhere different. So. I don't know. I think we need to maybe not get so caught up in uh, where we think we should be and just follow your heart. Right. Oh, my God. It's the hardest thing to do, though. Right. I mean, this yeah. is like this control thing. I mean, you have it. We're all control fanatics. And I think the ability to relinquish that is probably the biggest challenge ever. I am working that right now in my life. Yeah, that is my thing. So. For you. So I love that. So you were originally going to be a mortgage person. God bless your soul. Um, yeah. yeah, I had my spell net too in 2000. I would never go back to that as well. Um, but prior to that, I mean, your background, I mean, I always love going back to somebody's beginnings because I feel like you get a better understanding of where they are today. Because um, people who see you now in this uh, area, you're very well respected. Um, you've been in the industry, like I said, for 30 years. You've been very successful. You've owned franchises. You've ran your own company. You've done it all from A to Z. So I would say like your resume speaks for yourself and reputation does too. How did all this begin? I mean, this, it, cause I, I love jumping into that. That's my thing. I want to know where, how it all started. Like what were your, 
what were you like in the beginning before we even got to this level? Because I feel like when we see you, you have such a drive. You have such this tenacity to do things and you succeed at levels that most people probably try to dream about. Was that always your, your wiring? Like what was your beginnings? You know, I would say in a lot of ways it was, I grew up with a single mom. We were, you know, very poor. She was married four times and that's just, you know, the one she married. And I mean, she was an extraordinary woman in a lot of ways, just made not some great life choices. Right. But I knew early on that I did not want my life like that. I did not want to live poor. I mean, we were homeless for a period of time and things. And I knew quickly I didn't want that. And what's funny is I think about back in those days, I don't think they have it anymore. They had layaway, if anyone remembers <laughs> layaway. Oh, yeah. Right? And we could never afford school clothes. So my mom would get us, you know, like maybe some new underwear and socks, but we never could get school clothes. Well, then I learned that there was such a thing as layaway. and I kid you not, I was about 11 years old and I went out and started collecting soda pop bottles, right? Cause you could get, you could turn them in and get money. But even more so I grew up in, uh, in Chico and diamond walnuts was there and you could get the 50 pound bag, um, the gunny sacks and fill them with walnuts and you could sell them to diamond walnuts for five bucks a bag. Well, I quickly figured out that picking up walnuts was not as much fun as collecting money. So I went and engaged my younger brothers and I said, I'll give you guys $2.50 if you fill these bags up. Right? Oh my gosh. And then I went and took them to Diamond and got the five bucks. So I was an entrepreneur very young, I will say, and knowing that I had to figure out ways to make money. And I sold so many of those uh, walnut bags that I was able to put clothes down, you know, layaway down for school clothes. And I was able to get clothes that way because that's the only way I was going to get clothes. And then when I was about 14 years old, I was out riding my bike out in the country and there was this help wanted sign on this farmer's like post. So I went up to the sign and I said, Hey, I'm looking for a job. He goes, you're too young and too small young lady. And I said, what do you need done? He goes, I need you to drive that tractor, which was a hay baler. I mean, this huge hay baler. And I said, well, can you show me how to drive it? And he goes, yeah. And I said, all right, I'll ride along with you and I'll figure it out. I ended up spending the entire summer driving a hay baler. I couldn't have weighed 80 pounds. I was a little tiny skinny thing driving this huge hay baler, right? So what did I, I just went out there and put my bikini on so I could get a suntan. And I drove <laughs> the hay baler around. And I ended up earning enough money that summer to help me buy a car when I turned 16. So I want to say I always had that drive. And I think that drive came from not having anything, right? Oh, my God. I didn't like that there was nothing out there. And I said, well, I got to figure out how to get it. And, you know, I created this quote and I had it put on T-shirts on my little Etsy. It says, you get paid in direct proportion to your ability to figure shit out. Uh-huh. Amen. And that really has been my motto for my life. It's like, okay, I don't, I don't know how that works or what to do, but I'm going to either go find somebody who can show me or I'm going to figure it out one way or another. And I think that relentless drive to figure stuff out is what is who I am and where exactly that came from. I don't know the answer other than struggling as a kid. Uh, I made sure that I didn't want my life that way. That's profound because there's a couple of things that I want to take away from that. Number one, all of us are a product of our environment, for sure. You had an environment that was obviously a struggle. 
where you were trying to survive. And you looked at your example of what you grew up in and you lose it as a launching pad to not be it. So many people look at that and use it as a crutch to be it. For sure. Right? Like you could have been that person who wasn't very aggressive, who didn't go up to that guy, the hay beller and said, you know what? can't help you. Okay. And you walked away with your head down to your legs and said, okay, I go find something else. Or you didn't go con your brothers into packing up almonds in the bag and making 50% profit. Like, come on. I mean, that's the truth, right? So you were definitely somebody who was not destined to take no for an answer and accept defeat. For sure. That's the For sure. Right. Um, cause then as you have come through and honestly, this is kind of telling you, I, I never knew your story. I mean, as long as I've known you too, we've never really talked like, I didn't know you're raised by a single mom. Like I didn't know that, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, too, it's crazy. And, and just to see where you've come to this point in your life, I'm like, wow. And to think that that was the beginnings of it all, you know, so entrepreneurialism is a bone in your body for sure. As you've moved into this and then did you go to college? Did you do any of that stuff? Did you, what did your, after no, nothing else, you went from straight high school to I think you so I like to say that I have a PhD, which is a mm -hmm. public high school diploma, right? <laughs> and I barely graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. I mean, literally, like I had to get a D in biology so I could graduate. Um, and uh, my report cards always said talks too much. And that worked out for me, right? So, <laughs> yes. so I did go to Butte College for about six months a semester because that's where all the boys were because I in Chico, we had two high schools, right? We had Pleasant Valley High School in Chico High. And so I went to Butte College. I thought, well, I'll go there because that's where all the guys are. I didn't make it in college um, at all. I and I and I didn't have any money to pay or support or anything. So I was like, I need to go get a job. And so bank basically I just went out and started to work and I went through a lot of different jobs. I mean, I was, I was doing insurance billing and I even a, a Sierra Pacific lumber mill for like two weeks. Wow. <laughs> My worst job. I worked in the laundry room of a senior care home <laughs> before oh they had depends. I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> like, yeah, I made it like two weeks there too. So I just honestly, and that's what I've been trying to tell a lot of this younger generation. It's like, you don't have to love the jobs you get. Those jobs will launch you to something else. Mm -hmm. What you'll figure out is you'll either love it or you won't. If you hate it, go do something else, right? Go. I mean, there's plenty of job opportunities out there and you just have to keep trying things until something fits or something that all of that is going to lead you to where you are. Just like all those jobs that I did led me and gave me experience to move into the real estate industry. I mean, I was a cocktail waitress for five years at Black Angus, right? Wow. I think okay. waitressing and food serving is like the best sales training on the planet because you have to deal with stupid drunk people right? yeah. and, and you'll learn how to upsell and you learn how to make tips. So you get paid on results, right? On how you perform um, best sales training ever. So yeah, I, I did that. And all those jobs led me to where I am today and all the experiences that I've had in my life have led me to a place where uh, my therapist called me a wise owl. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, really? And she goes, yeah. She goes, look at how many things have happened in your life that have led you to where you are that allow you to have the experience to pay it forward or to help somebody else or to tell your story, right? Mm -hmm. You never know who your story is going to affect or impact. And many times you don't know it years later. I mean, I've had people come to me that worked for me 20 years ago and say, thank you so much for what you did to help me back then or what you showed me or 
thank you for firing me even, or, you know, I've had a lot of different people come and tell me, thank you in that way. And not in an egotistical way, but just to say, I didn't know, I had no idea the impact I made. Right. Right. That's amazing too. That is actually what you go to your grave with. I think I, what I want to, and I think you should too, right? It's like, what, how many lives did you impact? How many people did you make an imprint on and make it for the better, not for the worse, right? For the better, because we can all do our share of making people worse. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, just listen to this first half of your life. Honestly, it sounds like scrambled eggs and which is, which is normal, right? This is normal. This is called life. It's messy. It's unpredictable. It's challenging, but yet you found every way possible to not let it hold you back. Um, which is aspiration in just itself. Um, so just curious, we all love Joe. How did Joe come into this picture with you? Let's, if you mind sharing a little bit of that, how that come into you? Because I think that's a big part of your life now too. I mean, you guys celebrated recently. How many years really celebrated? So we've been married 32 together, 37. So I've wow. been with Joe more than half my life, you know, half your life, right. And I wrote a book about it as yes. you may know called hundred things I love about you. And it's, it's interesting because I met Joe. And of course, when I least suspect it, which is when you meet the best people, right. Mm-hmm. I had been engaged to be married and I threw all my clothes in my car one night and I left. I said, I don't want, I didn't want to marry him. I'm like, that's not going to be my life. And I moved to Sacramento. I stayed with my uncle, Tony. And randomly I needed somebody to do my hair. And he goes, well, I have this friend named Nancy. So I go to Nancy's house and I'm getting my hair done and in walks Joe. And he's with another girl and he's got, he's got his head bowed. Obviously they were like fighting or arguing or something. And he kind of shuffles in. And my friend Nancy says, Hey, Joe, meet Marguerite. And he's like, Hey, and he kind of walks by. And then he gets to the door and he turns around and he said, what was your name again? And I said, Marguerite. And he's like, oh, okay. He leaves. So a couple of weeks later, Nancy and I are in a bar, El Torito's, for those of you who remember back in the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he comes walking in this time. He's with somebody else. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this guy's a mess, right? And I said, I'm not interested uh, in this guy. So he leaves, takes the girl home, comes back to the bar next door, Bobby McGee's. And we ended up dancing the night away. And a few weeks later, Next thing you know, we're together and we've been together ever since. So uh, he's an extraordinary man, like nothing I had ever met or seen. I came from a small town where, you know, uh, getting dressed up was clean Levi's right back then. Mm-hmm. And Joe had walked in in a three piece suit, jet black hair, slicked back. He had a Camaro Z28 car oh, back then. <laughs> yeah, he was all that in a bag of chips. And um, he's an extraordinary, extraordinary man who's put up with me all these years. I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a little high maintenance, so he's pretty extraordinary. He's funny and he's, uh, uh, he just, he loves me unconditionally and no matter what I do, what I say, how I behave, he loves me. And I think that that's the one person in my life, thankfully, that has been there for the good and the bad, right? The, the mm-hmm. ugly, he's been there for every part of it. And I'm extraordinarily blessed to still to still be with him. That's amazing. That's actually a really good story because I think that's what everybody kind of aspires to have in their life, finding somebody that will be their good, bad, ugly. That's your best partner, your best friend, right? Yeah. So let's talk about that book. That is a book. You actually, it's a on Amazon, right? It's a published book, right? Yeah, it's published. Okay. It's on Amazon. It's also, we have a website called 100 Things I Love About You. The number's 100, 100 Things I Love About You. And it's kind of a funny story that probably a lot of people who've had kids and been in relationships can relate to. So 
we had been together for quite a while. We were going through kind of a difficult time. Um, we had our oldest son passed away when he was 10 years old. And, you know, everybody has a different way of grieving, right? And for me, I just buried my head in the sand and went to work. Uh, my husband stayed home. He stayed home for a bit with the kids. So we still had uh, three and four-year-old sons, Jake and John at home. And it was one of those things where I was just overwhelmed with life. And I woke up one day and I said, today's the day we're either going to an attorney or a counselor, you decide. Well, like most men, he was like, huh? <laughs> a little oblivious. Yeah. And luckily he's a smart man and he made an appointment with a therapist and we went to the first appointment. They're like, why are you here? And he's like, because she made me. And I said, wrong answer, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and so we go to the second appointment and talk about family background. My husband's from an old world Spanish family where you just stay married till death do you part. And as you know, as I mentioned, I my mom had been married four times. So I didn't really have any good male role models in my life. So the third appointment, you go back separately. And the therapist says to me, he goes, so are you done, done? Or is there still a chance that you can work things out? And I said, well, we've been, oh, there's my dog. Oh, Sorry, going oh, crazy. All right, all right. I said, well, he's at least here. So I'm at least willing to see if we can make things work. So the therapist says, well, I'd like you to make a list of the things that you love about him. I'm like, I don't think I could do that. I don't really like him very much at the moment. And I said, I've done the pros and the cons. The cons outweigh the pros. He goes, well, throw out the cons. Let's just focus on the pros. I'm like, okay. So I made it in my mind that I would come up with a hundred things. And so I went home and for three or four days, I couldn't think of anything. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this. Right. And then finally I woke up one day and there was tea next to my bed because my husband makes me tea or smoothies every morning. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I like that. <laughs> and then I slowly, he's a good dad and he's funny and, you know, everybody loves Joe. Like, I mean, no one has a bad thing to say about him. And I just went, I just kept starting to write things down. Well, the truth be told, I only made it to 45, but I gave him that list for anniversary that year and it saved our marriage. And I'll tell you the secret. Joe didn't change a thing. The only thing that changed was my perspective right? I'd gotten so focused on all the things he was doing wrong, so focused on what was wrong about him and what I didn't like about him. And, and I became very self-centered, which I think happens in the majority of relationships. You get, it's all about me. Well, he doesn't do this for me. He didn't take care of that for me. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. And you get embroiled in this and you forget why you fell in love. And you forget the things that you fell in love. You know, Joe makes a joke. He says, you know, in the beginning, everything was funny. Now everything's a damn joke, right? But <laughs> It's, it's interesting how that applies in so many areas of life, right? We get super caught up in all the things. Once you get past that honeymoon phase and that, that time where you think everything's great, all of a sudden you start focusing all the things that are going wrong. And if you can remember what you actually fell in love with about them, you can find a way to build and grow that love again. And I'm happy to say we're here 37 years later. Uh, the book has a lot of different stories and advice from my years of being in a relationship. It's a great little book. If you want it, feel free to hop on and grab one. I love it. I love it. And that's true. I think a lot of those points are valid. We do get into this place where you focus so heavily on the things that are more wrong than good, right? And what you focus on expands. What you think about comes about. And I want to actually segue that into like our business. Now, as in real estate, 
how many of us right now in this current market, I know I'm jumping back and forth here, right? In this current market are focused on so many things that are wrong and not really oh, focused on some sure. of the things, right? Um, what let's kind of throw some of that, what your stuff you've put in that personal relationship. How would you advise some people right now in this current market condition and make that relatable to that? Well, I, I would take it back to a couple things I, I said, but first of all, is that you great agents do well in any market if this is really what you want to do. If you got into it because you thought it was quick, easy money, please get out, right? If you got into it because you were just here because you were going to, you know, you wanted to keep the commission on your own house or, you know, sell your mom or dad a house. I mean, the average agent gets into the business for two years, pisses off their family and friends and gets out. And I know that great agents who genuinely care about their clients and the consumer and care about the industry as a whole will survive. But you're going to have to shift. You're going to have to change the way you do things. You can't just sit around, wait for the phone to ring, and you're wondering why the phones aren't ringing. Well, because you actually have to work, right? Like my brother says that he says, everyone wants to go to heaven. No one wants to die. Yep. So they don't want to do the work associated with what those results are. And if you actually follow somebody around, I was saying this the other day to my team. I was like, man, I mean, I was slamming busy on Monday. I said, that was a day where I needed someone to literally follow me around all day long and see what I do. How many text messages did I send? How many emails did I respond to? How many clients did I call? How many past clients did I call? How many deals was I negotiating? How many advertising programs was I relaunching or trying to figure out? Like, if you follow anybody around that does that has been successful, you will see that it's in the details of what they do every day, right? Mm -hmm. And that I think is what is missed is they see the end result because social media makes it look like, you know, everybody's amazing. They mm -hmm. see the end result, but they're not willing to do the work every day. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to do the work every day, then you can't complain about the results you didn't get from the work you didn't do. There we go. Amen. Amen. And there's always plenty of opportunity in business out there. People are whining about 7%. I was selling houses in 10% interest rates, right? They're like, yeah, but prices were so much lower then. Yeah, well, the income that what people made was a lot lower then too, right? Yeah, all I relative. Mean, when we bought our house in 1994, it was seller financing, 10% interest, 5% down. And I remember... We had to come up with 5% and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. And then I remember talking to my friend Renee. She goes, you just got your real estate license. Keep the commission. So we ended up keeping the commission of 3%, came up with $5,000 and bought the home of our dreams that we're still in 30 years later. You get paid in direct proportion to your ability to figure shit out. Oh, I love so that. So if you're out there whining and crying right now and crying the blues, well, instead of crying the blues, you can get up and you can go do the work. I mean, I remember, Chris, you did it and I did it too, not at the level you did, but that year when you were struggling in real estate mm -hmm. and you said, I'm going to do 30 open houses in 30 days. I tell people that story hundreds of times. And you literally, in the month of December, for goodness mm -hmm. sake, all months. I mean, yep. the worst month of the year, you did 30 open houses in 30 days. And how many deals did you put into contract at the end of that 30 days? Seven. Seven. So mm -hmm. you guys, come on. And this was that, what year was that? That was like during 16, 2016, 2016 right? So we yep. weren't in the crazy nutty market that we're in right mm -hmm. now. No, no. So when you want it bad enough, you'll find a way. The problem is many people that got into real estate the last couple of years were like, oh, they did it on the side or they were just going to, you know, they're all working a full-time job or, you know, they saw the commission that we made on a transaction and they mm -hmm. thought, 
oh my God, I can't believe you got paid that much money. I could have done that. Well, here's the truth, you guys. Masters make things look easy. So if you think that all your agent did was put a sign in the yard and did nothing else, but you still closed your deal and you got you got your money out of it, your agent was a master. Right? Yeah. And that's the reality is that masters make things look easy. I can't golf like Tiger Woods. I can't even miniature golf, right? He <laughs> makes it look amazing, right? So masters truly make things look easy. And if you think real estate is easy, come try it out for a bit, right? I mean, it's not, it's, it's work every single day. It's managing fear. It's helping people. It's solving problems. And if you can't solve the problem on how to get business, then you sure as heck are not going to make it in real estate, selling real estate. Like yeah. that's a small problem in the scheme of things. When people say, oh, I can't get any business. I'm like, oh, well, have you made any phone calls lately? Oh, I don't like to call. Okay. Yeah. Have you done any open houses? Oh, I don't like doing open houses. Okay. Have you ran ads? Oh, I don't have the money to run ads. Okay. <laughs> right? What are like, you doing? What are you going to do? I I don't know what to tell you to do if you're not willing to do the work, if you're not willing to show up and put in the time and the effort and the energy. This industry for me changed the entire trajectory of my life and future generations. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I could make the amount of money that I've made in real estate and impact the amount of people that I've impacted with no college degree, no barely any education, right? And where I came from, didn't think it was possible. Mm, and it. if you don't, if you can't see that, then you should go look at something else because the opportunity is insane. We get paid on results. Remember that. We get paid on results, not time. You have to do the work to get the results. You don't get paid for all that work that you're doing until you get the results. So you have to stay focused on what are you willing to do to get results for people? Like, think about it this way. If you walk into Walmart, which I, let's go somewhere else, Target. So just went to Walmart yesterday. <laughs> not one single um, aisle open to help you. Everything was self-service, which just, I'm sorry. That, I, 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 that made me crazy. So. You go into the store and you're looking for a widget and you say, hey, I'm looking for, you know, a coffee ca coffee can or something. And they go, oh, the 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 person there helping you, the customer service says, oh, yeah, I don't know where those are. And they walk away. Mm. Or you walk in and you talk to somebody else. They go, oh, yeah, I know exactly where those are. Let me show you. And they walk you down the aisle and they say they're right here. These are our top best sellers. This is my favorite brand. Is there anything else I can help you with? Any other questions you might have? Who's going to rise to management? Number mm -hmm. two. Yep. So who are you in this real estate world? Who are you? What are you doing on a daily basis to help and serve people and help them understand what the opportunities and what's possible out there? Because you know what? I'm in charge of my own damn economy. Nobody else is in charge of my economy. And it's up to me to get my butt out there and hustle and build and create the life that I want for me and my family and those I care about. I love it. So obviously there's a lot of things that you just unpacked right there. And I think all of it goes back to one thing. People just don't have the balls. We can say that on here. Don't have the balls to really just <laughs> well, I do don't, the freaking work. Not. I mean, no. Okay. Perfectly. <laughs> Technically you don't, but you know, whatever it is that drives them, they just don't have it enough for them to do it. Right. So you always use that cliche, like if you want it bad enough, like you want to breathe. Okay. That's a great analogy yet. Some people don't really look at it that way because they're like, naturally, I need to breathe. It's just human. And 
Um, if I don't breathe, I'll die. If I don't go regenerate today, um, I'm not going to die, but then I can complain about it in 90 days. I don't have any money in my account, right? That's what it looks right. like. What is your version or, or ideal, your opinion of why people just don't do it? Like, why do you think it's not it? Like they see it, they just don't do it. What I mean, I want to hear your version. What do you think your opinion of that is? I truly think it's not that important to them. I think they got into it for the wrong reasons, right? They, they, they're just not willing to do the work in that area. I mean, it can apply the same to exercise, right? Like why do some people exercise and some people don't, why can some people actually accomplish 75 hard and some people can't, you know, it's, it really comes down to what are your priorities? What is most important to you? Like I'll give an example back in 2006 when the market was shifting into REO and BPOs were a big thing. Right. And people were like, I'm not doing a BPO for 50 bucks. And I'm like, 50 bucks is milk money for my kids. Mm -hmm. So guess what? I will do a BPO until the cows come home if I need to. Right. And I just think that there's a, a whole, I hate to say generation. That's not fair. I think there's a whole group of people who think that it came easy to me or that I didn't have to work for it or that, um, you know, there was a, a period of time when everyone thought, Oh, well, Joe took care of all that. And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> right. Um, it's a matter of what is most important to you. And most people won't make the shift into that until they have no other choice. And for me, I felt like I had no other choice. I had to go figure this out because I was not going to be broke. I was not going to be homeless. I was not going to allow my children to grow up the way that I grew up. I, it just was not an option for me. When life becomes not an option in one arena, you will do the work. But as long as you have options and as long as you have excuses, you'll find all the reasons not to do it. And there's a lot of excuses out there. I could give you a million excuses that I could come up with just for myself right now. And there's a lot of excuses, but you know what? Excuses don't pay the bills mm -hmm. and excuses don't give you the life that you want to give and, uh, you know, or live. And so you have to set those aside and say, and take a hundred percent responsibility. You take 100% responsibility for what is going on in your life or wrong in your life. You will find a way to figure it out. As long as you continue to blame other people or other situations or whatever, you won't figure it out. Cause you're like, Oh, that's not my problem. I did that. That happened to me. Cause Chris did that. Oh, this blah. Like you take 100% responsibility. Like I have a friend right now who's going through AA and it's interesting because I, 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 I don't understand. I've never been through AA. I'm blessed in that area. He's going through AA and he said, yeah, he goes, one of the steps that you have to do is to forgive everybody and figure out what your role was in that situation. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, he had an abusive stepdad when he was a kid. He goes, how can I take responsibility for my role with that guy beating me? Right. I said, well, maybe your responsibility is how can you forgive and how can you look at that person through what eyes might have led them to be there? If that makes sense. Like I didn't understand my mom a lot until I lived with my grandmother. And then I understood my mom and I understood what she had gone through and what she had dealt with. And I think one of the greatest strengths that you can develop for me, at least I'm learning in my age is the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, to see through their eyes, to see what might have brought them to the place that they are that led them to make those decisions. 
right or wrong, good or bad, what led them there. And if you can put yourself there and you can appreciate or try to have some empathy or understand for a moment, that's not justifying their behavior, but you can somehow create a place where you can maybe create some forgiveness for yourself so you can move on. Because forgiveness is not for the other people, right? It's for you. Mm -hmm. You. And so if you can find those ways to stop making excuses and to take 100% responsibility for where you're at in your life and what your life looks like, you'll start finding a way to fix it. You keep blaming other people, you won't fix it, and you'll be here in the same position a year from now. Makes sense. I love it. It's self-accountability. It's self-identifying. Self you're right. Yeah, I love it. But so many of us are kind of ego and arrogant and prideful. And we don't want to allow ourselves to get to that place where we can accept the fact that we had a role and play in something, right? It's like, it is oh, always sure. someone's fault. Yeah. yeah no, one um, else, no one wants to say, I screwed up. I'm the jerk. I'm the bad guy. I, I mean, no one wants to say that, right? But, and, and you don't even have to say that. What you can say is, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want my yeah. life to look like that anymore. I don't want to make those kind of choices anymore. So with that, I have to do this. I have to forgive and forget and move on. Or I have to, you know, take responsibility and take accountability. I have to, right? I love it. It's hundred percent true. And there's a place when you get to that place, it's like a serious inner peace you will have in your, your life because it's all energy, right? Hating, angry, blaming. It's all a, a negative emotion, which creates a lot of negative energy. And, and even the fact, if you want to be a person who holds on to a fact to, to act like it's not your fault, that takes energy too. Right. For the sure. blame game takes energy. And you're like, and deep down inside, I know, let's be honest, deep down inside, we know we're freaking wrong, but we're just so stubborn that we won't let it go. And that takes energy that just, oh my God, so much. I was for a long time, I've learned to let go and be super humble. And like, you know what? Screw it. I effed up my bad. That's me. It's all me. Well, ego for sure causes more issues than just about anything out there. Right. I mean, it's the number one reason why deals don't come together because the, the egos are the agents, right? Yep. And it's the number, you know, learning to figure out, is it more important? What's most important, the relationship or being right? Yeah. And for many, they're caught up in, it's more important to be right than my relationship with you. Yeah. And when you make those kinds of decisions based on that, that's 100% ego. And I'm here to tell yeah. you, no problems can be solved in that way. No. None. And that's probably the greatest lesson I've learned from Joe. Joe's always really quick to say he's sorry. And I remember him say, I remember saying to him one time, I'm like, you don't really mean it. You're not really sorry. And he goes, really? What makes you think mm -hmm. that? And I said, well, you didn't say it. And he goes, how could I say it in a way that you would believe it? Mm -hmm. And he goes, does it even matter? Because no matter how I say it, you're not going to believe it. Mm -hmm. Because it's not my problem, it's your problem. Amen to that one. Ooh, mm -hmm. ooh, that one hurt. That dagger out of my back. Ouch, that one mm -hmm. hurt bad. Yeah. So true, though. It's not. It's a projection at that point. You're projecting that. Oh, my God. And how many people are sitting around waiting for someone to say they're sorry? I mean, I know mm. relationships where people have died and you no one have the time to say, you know, people, you know, we just went to this service last week. And no one ever says bad things about somebody at a service, but they remember all that stuff the day before the person died. 
the day before they're talking shit talking about this person and saying this or this or that, this particular person we're talking about. But, you know, people have all this crap to say. And then when they die, they're like, oh, my God, they were the most amazing person ever on the planet. They were like perfect. And you're like, well, hold on. How about we work on things before they die? Right. 100%. Yep. I agree. How about with you. we work this on forgiving before they die? How about we work on learning how to apologize and tell people that we love them before they die? Oh, my God. So appropriate. And that leads me to my next topic here, because obviously you and I both were brushed with a level of death. Um, you more, I mean, you, let's talk, you, if you want to talk about that, but you're okay to talk about that a little bit. I mean, you had a scare recently and, and you've overcome that. I'm super grateful for that. What was that transition like on you in an emotional way, on a mental way, on a physical way, in your relationship way? I mean, it probably causes challenge on every level. Um, yeah. So like? in 2020, amongst COVID, as if that wasn't enough of all that junk going on, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And mm -hmm. it was hard for me because my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, had passed away from breast cancer in 2006. So, of course, I was panicked and freaked out and scared and thinking, wait a minute, I still have a lot to do. Like, and I also felt like, who's going to take care of my family? Like, what's going to happen to my husband has Parkinson's? Who's going to take care of him? What's going to deal with my kids, my grandkids? Like, all these things went through my head. And I think the biggest thing that came out of it was, I'm not done yet. Like, I still have stuff to do. And it made me focus on what things were important, right? Like I wanted to get my book out. I'd been working on my book for 10 years. I said, all right, enough of that damn thing. I need to get that out, right? Mm -hmm. I'd been wanting to remodel my house for 28 years. I'm like, I'm making that happen. You know, trips, spending time with people. And it was a scare. It was for sure scary. And it made me take a good, long, hard look at my life and what I've done and where I'm at and who I've impacted and said, I'm not done yet. I still have a lot of work to do. So I'm blessed to say I'm cancer free. It's been three years now and I'm not planning on it ever coming back. Um, but it definitely made me stop and slow down. It definitely made me, um, you know, there's that saying that, you know, God, first he starts and kind of whispers and taps you on the forehead. And then pretty soon he has to like throw a brick in your face, right? Well, I'm the brick in the face kind of person. So that was a brick in my face that, look, I, this is not what I want. This is not what I want my life to look like, which means I need to get the stress in my life under control. I need to deal with things I haven't dealt with. I need to make sure that the things that are important in my life are taken care of. And the biggest blessing was, you know, EXP and the revenue share that I got every month allowed me to focus on taking care of my health and my family instead of being out there, you know, pounding the pavement, selling houses. And the sad thing is I see so many people that they don't have that choice when they could. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know this isn't, you know, all designed around EXP, but what a game changer it has been for me in my life and so many others to be able to have that extra money each month that allows me the freedom to make decisions that I might not have made if I didn't have that freedom. And it's the best model that I've seen in my 30 years, having even ran my own brokerage for 22 years. It's pretty extraordinary. And I don't see anybody else out there doing it with the same uh, depth and enthusiasm and, and, and passion as, I mean, you just interviewed Glenn Sanford, who, what an extraordinary man he is. Mm -hmm. And 
what a vision that he created that we would be able to help each other and have collaboration over competition. How can we work together to build and grow something that everybody benefits from? Like nothing I've seen. And it, it was a lifesaver for me. And I didn't mean to turn it into an EXP commercial, but it really was a game changer for me. I don't know what I would have done. I mean, literally, I don't know what I would have done had I not had that coming in. I would have been out there with chemo and no hair on my head and throwing up on the side of the road trying to show homes. That's not a life, right? No. Actually, I'm glad you know. This is absolutely about an EXP commercial. 100%. Don't apologize for that. This is your life. We talked. I wanted to find out about how it really affected your life. And this EXP is a part of what affected your life, right? Whether it was the chemo, whether it was the breast cancer, whether it was your support system, family, friends, whatever. Yes, huge. EXP allowed you an opportunity to be able to still live your life like pain-free of stress and anxiety. I mean, that is the biggest killer, right? The overwhelming sensation of anxiety and stress and depression that would have basically enhanced the cancer, made it worse. Yeah. But yet you have the ability. So yes, this is an EXP thing. Say it loud and proud because it saved your freaking life. Yeah. And there's no other brokerage out there I even say it. If there was, we'd say it. If yeah. it was, I'd give it credit where credit was due, but there is no one out there. So yes, EXP saved your life. Um, and we're so grateful that you're still here with us. Um, and you know what? I was going to segue into that because now, honestly, you, I will. I mean, this is your journey. I wanted to ask you about your journey and EXP is about your journey. We talked about the beginning, the middle, you ran your own company's franchises and EXP is it. You mentioned a few things, the competition, the, the collaboration of a competition, the ability to grow, leverage, scale. What else about it? I mean, you've done it all. So you firsthand know, like you're not like you're talking out of your ass, like you know, because you've experienced it. What is the biggest change that you could say that's different from what you've done in the past from running your brokerages and franchises and companies and all this? I mean, you know, I would say that um, a couple of years ago, I cho chose the word uh, elevate as my word of the year. Mm -hmm. And why I loved that word is because what EXP has done for me has allowed me to inspire and elevate people beyond what they think they can do. And it allowed me to also get out of my backyard. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, yes, I have a good reputation in my hood and, you know, everything. But once you get me out of here, nobody knows who I am. Right. And now we have a younger generation coming up and they don't know who I am either. So the interesting thing is, is it allowed me the ability to impact and inspire people around the world, which I don't think that I had that until I came here. And or I didn't have the platform for it. Let me put it that way. I didn't have the platform for it. And I think that anytime you've been in an industry like I have for as long as I have, at some point you feel an obligation and a responsibility to pay it forward, right? To help, to help those who are coming up behind you, to lend a hand to the ones that are, you know, trying to find their way. And that's to where I'm at in my life right now, right? Like that's what, I really love to do. Like, what can I do to help you? What can I do to inspire you or to help you build your own version of success? Everyone has their own version of success. Not mine, not yours, whatever theirs is. But the most successful people ask for help and they get help. And so what are you doing to pay it forward? What are you doing to help build and grow the next generation? And I think that EXP has given me that freedom and that flexibility and that opportunity to do that. And that is probably the number one thing I'm most grateful for at this 
stage of my life, the ability to pay it forward, give it back, show them what's next. I love it. Jim Rohn theory, right? The best way to get what you want is to help others get what they're looking for or to be the 100%. best person themselves. I love it. And it, obviously it's showing. It's proof in the pudding. We are seeing it as a true testament. You have been in such an amazing career. You've impacted tons of people's lives and probably even more that you don't even know about. Like you said, you make impact people's lives you don't even know about. So all of a sudden somebody in the street comes out that, oh, Marguerite, you did this. That. Like, oh, wow. Okay. Surprise. Yes, every day I think every corner we're doing something that we just don't realize people are watching us and people are watching you. Um, you had an amazing career. I love your story. I mean, from the beginning, because it's very humble. Um, the humble beginnings, I believe, ultimately end up in the great little fairy tale stories. If you really are that person of drive and tenacity, they will turn into a fairy tale story. The other ones won't because that's their choice. Life's all about choices, and you made some amazing choices. And maybe not so, so good choices, but that's life too. But here you are today. The most amazing individual on this planet that we love and dearly respect um you and joe both i think you guys are a, a team um that we love to have and, and we dearly love joe as well but thank you for taking the time for this and sharing your story because you have a remarkable one you have a very extensive very successful one you've been like i said with four thousand transactions in your career so it's not like you're just some run-of-the-mill um little you know quarter cap or somebody who does six deals a year no you're somebody who is very very successful in what you've done so it's not like you're just talking, you know, in the air. So we appreciate your experience, your knowledge, your wisdom, for sure. Um, and in your story of, you know, close dying and, and understanding life and putting things in perspective differently, appreciating life much better. Um, it's a true story that we can live by, I think, on a daily basis. I'm like you. I'm all about being better every day. We just talked before we came on camera about my thing is I live my day 24 hours at a time now. And that's a hard, that's a hard pill to swallow for me. Because you and I both are like people who are big thinkers. We're visionaries. We're forward thinkers. Yeah. Right? And it's like, okay, what's next on the table? I got I got to tackle four things. No, I need to stop and really just focus on the 24 hours to make that the most, most amazing 24 hours of my life. Um, and if I can live that way, then ultimately I think I can really appreciate life more too. So thank you again for your time. I appreciate thank your you. guests. That is amazing. Um, appreciate everybody that listens on a regular basis. We hope this was an amazing opportunity for you guys to listen, get some value from such an amazing individual. And for those of you that are new, we hope this was amazing to you as well. And you got a lot out of it. So, but we're here every week. We'll talk with Chris and Ross again. We miss you this week, Ross. Unfortunately, he had something come up, but he'll be here again next week. The host is with the mostest. But until then, you guys have an amazing week. We love you all. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. For